Thank you for downloading our podcast. We are tempted to pursue a more tangible religion. We can fall into a trap and think we need more than Christ. But Hebrews assures us that Christ is all we need. Join us as we study Hebrews to learn more about our great Melchizedekian priest who presides in heaven and calls us on this wonderful earthly pilgrimage. This week we conclude our study in Hebrews and we come to the conclusion of the letter with an exhortation that we are those who need to know Christ in all of his glory. If you really look at the whole letter, it's really what it's encouraging us to do to see who Christ was, what he was promised to be, what Christ has done, who Christ continues to be, that he is truly before the foundations of the world, the one who validates or confirms, establishes God's promises, and the one who continues to be at work within us. And so when we hear this this exhortation and this benediction, the author of Hebrews has given us some pretty harsh words in terms of how we can be distracted from our Lord, how we can look to other things of our own making for our assurance, rather than truly looking to the substance of our faith, who is Jesus Christ. And so as we consider this, we know that God is the one who wants us to persevere. And and so in Hebrews, you kind of take it as, yes, this is what God is encouraging us to do. But what Hebrews wants us to really understand, when we say, okay, you want me to persevere, how do I persevere? Well, the beauty in Hebrews is reminding us that it's by Christ's preserving power that our Lord never gives up on us. Our Lord may discipline us. Our Lord may get our attention through various means. But our Lord never gives up on us. And so how do we really know so that's one of the things that, that Hebrews is addressing. How do we really know that God is walking with us in the midst of this age and isn't just leaving us here to kind of find our way as we meddle our way through this world? Well, we'll address this as we see first or ask the question and answer the question, what is a benediction? Why, why are these in worship? Why are they so important? Why would the author of Hebrews end in this. Secondly, what, what is a Hebrews benediction? What, what's the substance of this? And lastly, why would we believe this benediction? So let's begin. What is a benediction? Well, we've used this benediction at the close of our worship uh, for the past few weeks, trying to orient ourselves in this benediction, its significance, and, and these words, and calling attention to some of the the wording in the benediction before the close of worship. But generally, a a benediction is simply a blessing. And Hebrews isn't unique in closing a letter with a blessing. Uh, We can find this in Romans 16, 25 to 27, with a sure blessing that God will crush Satan under our feet. So there's, there's a blessing. It's going out in the assurance of our ultimate victory. Luke 24, verse 50. Uh, Luke, by the inspiration and wisdom of the Holy Spirit, doesn't tell us what Christ says in his blessing. Uh, Probably because if we had that, we would never use any other benediction in Scripture, and we might be worshiping this benediction exclusively. 
But at the end of Luke's gospel, we have Christ raising his hands and giving a blessing. This is a benediction. So, so there's something significant here between Christ and his disciples. Ephesians 6, verse 23 and 24, is a blessing or a benediction about the love of Christ. And these are just some examples. We can go through other letters. We can find different benedictions. But simply stated, it is a, a blessing that's given to us. And so when we say a benediction, well, what does this word mean? Where does it come from? Well, it actually comes from the Latin, and it means to bless. And so when the Lord is giving his blessing to his people, this is rather profound. First time we hear of a corporate blessing, and what I mean by that is when God's people gather together for worship, and as they come together to worship God, uh, you think about what's in worship. We, we confess our sins. We acknowledge we're sinners. We hear exhortations from the Word of God. We, we hear His gospel. Uh, we sing praises to God. And, and we do this all in the understanding that we are mere mortals. We are earthlings. Uh, we, we don't do this perfectly. Our hearts aren't always tuned into God as they should be when we worship. And so the reality is, we, we can beat ourselves up by the end of the worship service and say, well, is God really with us? Does God really care? I've had a rough week. This is where the benediction becomes so precious. Because at the end of the worship, we have Aaron's blessing in, in Numbers 6, verse 27, where he gives the assurance that the Lord is going to bless us and keep us and be with us. And his face is always going to shine upon us. And you think about that blessing and its implications. And when we think about this blessing, what, what is it telling us? The Lord is going to bless us and keep us. Now, many times we think of blessing, we, we just limit this to material blessings. We, we debate, is this health and wealth? Uh, does that mean that I'm going to, you know, have all these wealthy things? Well, that, that's not really what the substance of the blessing is. The blessing is knowing we are right with God. Now, we know God cares for us. He provides for us. And, and he provides for us many times with, with more than what we need. He's a gracious God. But the reality is, it's that assurance that he will bless us. He will be with us, keeping us. This is the preservation of God, keeping us. Uh, he's the one who's gracious. He's the one who shines his face upon us. So this isn't a look of scorn or a scowl from God. This is going out in worship, understanding you are the redeemed people of God. Have a high place in understanding who your Lord is. This is gracious, this is merciful what God has done. And so when, when we think about that first blessing at the conclusion of worship, it's the assurance that God is walking with his people. We're, we're not just being dismissed. It doesn't mean that now we can just run out and go about our business. It means God is with his people and he's truly walking with us. And we can find other benedictions where we have individuals giving benedictions. We find a Melchizedek blessing Abraham in Genesis 14. And that's a very significant thing too in light of Hebrews, isn't it? Because Melchizedek, uh, remember we said that's king of righteousness. That's what the name means. And the significance of Melchizedek is he has no beginning, no end of days. 
And so we said Hebrews is basically exploiting Genesis, and I don't mean that in a bad sense, but in terms of how Genesis introduces characters. Remember, when there's a significant individual, there is a genealogy. So, so we have the, the story as to how we've arrived at this particular person. In other words, Abraham just doesn't pop up out of nowhere. Uh, we understand his history. We, we understand his genealogy. But Melchizedek is one who just shows up in Genesis 14. We never hear of him again. He's a king of, of Salem and priest of Salem, which means Jerusalem, as we find from the Psalms or from a psalm. And as we take that, we say, here is a priest king, a priest king who blesses Abraham. And why does he bless Abraham? Because the Lord has been a shield and defender. In the context, Abraham has gone to war to deliver Lot. And so the Lord is there showing his favor. So as we start allowing our mind to think about these blessings and benedictions, it's that assurance that God is truly with his people. We're leaving worship with the Lord's favor upon us. Uh, we are those who are not afraid of what may lay ahead of us, even as we may not necessarily know what tomorrow brings. When our Lord says, don't worry about tomorrow, I, I got it covered. It means the Lord's going to shepherd us through tomorrow. We think of Hebrews 11, how the Lord has shepherded his people through various times, through various struggles, uh, through various uh, states of life or seasons of life. God has been faithful. So it's important to recall these things in our mind. Who is our God? What has our God done? He is faithful. A benediction then is the Lord uh, granting his benevolence, his peace upon us. We find with Aaron, told to raise his hands, Christ raising his hands. This is a picture of the Lord conferring his blessing through his minister, that, that the Lord is channeling his blessing. It's coming to the church. His people are truly blessed by him. And so what is this benediction then in Hebrews? Now remember this letter. There's been a lot of harsh exhortations. I mean, Hebrews 6 is not easy. Hebrews 10, not necessarily easy, right? Hebrews 6 talks about apostasy and not being renewed unto repentance. I mean, what, what a scary thing. What, what a scary statement for the author to say. Hebrews 10, the reminder that when God disciplines us, it's not because he's mean. It's not because he's vindictive. He's doing it to get our attention as our heavenly father. So Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews is dealing with some difficult things. But as we've gone through the letter, we've learned that this congregation might be on the verge of teetering off into the abyss, of having its lampstand removed, because it's not trusting in Christ. And so when you read this letter, you go, my goodness, you know, there's a lot of things that can distract us from our Lord. A lot of good things we can put in the place of our Lord, like we saw with the Levitical priesthood, the sacrificial system, the temple, these sorts of things that this congregation or synagogue seems to put in the place of their Christ and not seeing the sufficiency of Christ. So when you hear this and think about this as a backdrop for this benediction, how does God identify himself? Is the angry father? The vindictive God? 
The God that's going to find you and get you? No. The God of peace. This is a definition of our God. What, what a rich thing. We've, we've talked about the concept of shalom. Shalom is not just a, a treaty. It's not just tolerating someone. That, that's not what's going on. You think of two nations making a peace treaty. Well, they don't really like each other. They're, they're not really enjoying each other, but they just agree, you know, I don't want to go to war with you. It's too much stress. You don't want to go to war with me. Too much stress. So, so we'll just make this treaty and kind of exist sort of uh, without this continual conflict, if you will, right? That's, that's how we think of peace. But shalom is, is a wholeness. It's a restoration. It's taking everything that stands as a barrier and, and removes it. And so when it's the God of peace, the author of Hebrews is saying, think about your redemptive blessing. The great Melchizedekian priest has removed all barriers. Everything that stands between you and the living God has been removed. So now when you call upon the God of heaven, he is a God of shalom, the God of wholeness, the God of restoration, the God who truly brings about redemption. So right there, God of peace, definition of God is enough. But he goes on, who brought up again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. So remember what we've heard in Hebrews. He's belabored the point, Hebrews 7, Hebrews 9, of the great Melchizedekian priest, Jesus Christ. Already talked about Genesis 14 as a backdrop for that. The eternal priest. It never ends. He's the one who's the priest king who was predicted. Psalm 110. These sorts of things should be coming to our mind as we think about this letter. And it's the assurance that this, this Melchizedekian priest, that, that we can think is mysterious, distant, absent maybe sometimes in our worst moments. But he calls him the shepherd. The one who walks with us. A shepherd may leave his sheep in a pen. It may seem that he's absent. The shepherd's never far from his sheep. This is where the author of Hebrews tells us to what? Draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need. Why? We have a, a priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. It's without sin. But he understands what it is like to be tempted. To walk in the flesh. To be the God-man. So when he tells us the shepherd of the sheep, he wants us to understand this is not a distant Lord. This is not a Lord who's gone to heaven because it's convenient and he just did a mission. He checked the box and now he's gone. This is a continual shepherd who comes to us. And it's a continual shepherd who has done this by the blood of the eternal covenant. And so this blood of the eternal covenant is telling us the reality of what God has done. This blood of the eternal covenant is that this covenant that was made uh, with David officially in 2 Samuel uh, 7, we have the reality of Christ confirming this reality. Christ is the one who has done this. It is established as a covenant that will not end. The covenant of grace is established and confirmed in him. But there's something else about this raising him from the dead. And so when, when we hear this, he's raised from the dead. This recalls for us something even of Moses. Now, 
We can obviously think of the Red Sea precedent as Hebrews draws a lot from the wilderness and the testing in the wilderness, Israel grumbling. But there's a, a remarkable prototype. Remember, we've talked about in Hebrews, uh, we, we do this still in our day and age. We talked about before things come to production, there's, there's a prototype. You, you can kind of see a, a smaller model, a smaller replica. You kind of look at what it's going to look like, and then it goes into production. And that's what Hebrews is saying, that, that there's a, the reality of the heavenly tabernacle, and it's not that God has to make a series of prototypes. I mean, that's obviously where the analogy breaks down. But it's more for us to, to get a picture of our heavenly goal, to, to encourage us. And so the tabernacle becomes this, this prototype. It's showing us the bigger reality of what's going on. Wilderness sojourn, we're a wilderness people. But the exodus... The Exodus is a wonderful prototype of redemption. Going down into the sea of death with Moses as a shepherd of the people, leading them through the Red Sea, coming up unscathed and, and triumphant, and the Lord showing his mighty hand. And so as the Lord is the one who is a good shepherd, it's this imagery of what we have uh, with Moses going into the sea recalling this sort of with the backdrop of Isaiah 63, setting this picture of Moses being the shepherd who brings his people up. And so this recalls for us what the Lord has said in Hebrews 3, Moses being the servant in the house, Christ the, the one who's over the house, the owner of the house, the household being us. And so when his benediction closes with the eternal covenant, shepherd the sheep, bringing up from the dead. It's saying to us, but we don't have an exodus experience, right? Hebrews is saying, yes, you do. You have a greater exodus experience of the Christ who has died on the cross, the great Melchizedekian priest, passed into the very pit of death in hell and has emerged triumphant as a picture here, much like Israel in the Red Sea. And so this eternal covenant that has been done is this assurance that, that the Lord has validated his purpose, confirmed his word in the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And so we might say, okay, well, we know we're redeemed. We know he's a shepherd. But, but how do we know that he's really present with us? It says, equip you. In other words, this is giving us everything that we need. Uh, granting us the, the power that, that we need to, to conform to his will. And he's going to equip us with every good thing. And it's kind of humbling and, and depressing at the same time. When, when you think you've grown in your Christian walk, uh, maybe the Lord's uh, helped you go through something and delivered you from something, uh, some sort of a sin, you say, wow, look at the great thing I've done. The reality is when you come back to this, it's not you who, who has done it. it. It's the Lord. And it's that reminder that it's the Lord's goodness that has shepherded you through that. And so the Lord is the one who is doing this. And we say, oh, maybe you're just reading that into this. Well, what does he go on to further qualify? Working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight. So you think back to Aaron's blessing. His face shining on us, his countenance shining on us, right? Here's sort of the same thing. That, that we can think, well, Christ is in heaven, the great Melchizedekian priest. I got to go to him. He probably doesn't know what's going on. Hebrews is saying, no, 
He knows what's going on. It's a privilege we can come near to him in our prayers, but he knows what's going on. He's continually working within us, uh, seeing to it that we will live out what he has set out for us. Hebrews 11, promise is still there. That's the assurance of what's going on. Notice then, through Jesus Christ, to the glory forever and ever. So now it's closing with the assurance. Your great priest, he doesn't change. Hebrews 7, one of the major downsides with Moses, you wait for the priest to come in. You have to wait for the successor. Who's going to succeed? What's that priest going to be like? Our eternal priest, forever and ever, never ends. And so we, we give this, this overview of this benediction, the beauty of this. And then there's these, these closing matters where we might say, well, why would we heed this benediction? Why, why would this come to us with authority? Well, the author of Hebrews says, I appeal to you, brothers. Right? So as he's appealing to this, he, he's asking them to continue to hear what is going on, to, to listen to it, to take it to heart. Now, when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, this is along the lines of, I, well, it is, I exhort you, actually. So as he says, I exhort you, or I encourage you, I appeal to you, however you want to translate it. The force is that this is going beyond the immediate audience that whoever receives this letter is, is invited to heed this exhortation, take it to heart. When he says, I have written you briefly, uh, this is probably something you don't want ministers to, to read or, or to find in the text. As commentators note that this exhortation is the whole word of Hebrews, that they say it's brief. You can read it in under an hour. So I, I like that definition of brief. I'm a brief preacher. I, I appreciate that. But that's the reality of what he's saying here. I write to you briefly. So the implication, on a serious note when you put this together, as he's exhorting them to heed this, and as he writes this, and then he's going to come visit, that he's sort of preparing, uh, preparing the way, sort of greasing the skids for his arrival, uh, that they can sort of take some of this to heart, and then the intention is going to come to them. We've made reference to Timothy being released. Most likely Timothy was in prison, uh, these types of persecution. And so the implication is Timothy is going to be released. Uh, I'm going to come and I'm going to see you. And then he grants or um, exhorts them uh, to basically greet all the leaders, the saints. And then he says those who have come from Italy. So we've said this probably is a synagogue in Rome. And so the implication as we sort of reverse engineer this, kind of like from 1 Corinthians, Chloe's people give a report to Paul. It's pretty likely that there's individuals who have come from this synagogue, have met up with Paul, the apostles, and Timothy, and have said, hey, there's, there's something going on over there uh, where they're really trying to revert back to Judaism and don't see the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, they, they need a pretty harsh word of exhortation. And so this sending greetings and ending with this benediction is making a lot of sense. Because the author is saying, listen, we're not writing this because we necessarily like being harsh. We're not writing this because we necessarily like just rebuking people. We're writing this because we really believe you're in danger. We really believe that, that you are going in a wayward direction. 
And we want you to know that those who have come to us and given this report, they're not doing it out of spite. They're doing it because they're really concerned for your souls. And so that's how I read this conclusion. He's saying, hey, you know, we're going to come to you. We're not just writing this letter, but, but we don't have time to come to you right now. But nevertheless, the report that we have received, there's something urgent. Notice then the last verse. The last verse is wonderful. Because as we mentioned and reviewed this letter, he says, grace be with all of you. And it's a reminder, how do we persevere through this life? Well, the theological answer is by the preserving power of God, right? But, but it can still, when we, when we say that back, it, it can still sound distant. We can say, well, Christ is in heaven. I'm here. The Holy Spirit works. I, I know this, but, but, but what does that really mean? And this simple statement, grace, basically the Lord's favor, the Lord's benevolence uh, is with you. In other words, it, it's not just that you have to feel God or, or you have to feel near to him at all times. I mean, if we're honest, there's different seasons in our Christian walk. And I'm not advocating spiritual laziness or I'm not advocating something else that's clearly sinful. But the reality is in our Christian life, there are different seasons and different trials that we face. And sometimes it gets pretty difficult to see God's benevolence and his graciousness in the midst of it. This is where the last verse is so profound. That the God of heaven who has raised up the great Melchizedekian priest, the great shepherd of the sheep, is the one who confers his grace with all of us. What a wonderful thing. But as we hear these exhortations and, and we're called to conform to our God and we're called to do it out of gratitude, the assurance is it's not a hopeless endeavor. It's not something where we go through life and say, man, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. The author of Hebrews is saying, did you not hear what I said about the great Melchizedekian priest? Have you not heard of the great blessings of your God? Do you not understand the richness of your shepherd? Call out to your sovereign king, the great Lord, who is the one who has been raised from the dead, the one who can sympathize with our weaknesses, the one who is shepherding us and leading us to the goal. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. So when we ask that question, how do we really know God is with us? Well, this is the point of a benediction. When we leave the service, we're leaving with the assurance that God's face is shining upon us, is the intention. It's, he is with us. His grace is present. He is walking with us as a shepherd. We know that as we are those who can manufacture our own idols. I mean, that's really what Hebrews is dealing with. And the people taking good things that God has ordained and elevating them to the thing that they worship rather than to the God or turning their affections to the God who has called them and recreated them. The reminder of this letter and, and his benediction is to continually keep our eyes focused on the great Melchizedekian priest. He resides in the heavenly tabernacle. We think he's distant. We think he's abstracted. That's not a problem with God. The author of Hebrews is saying that's a problem with us. The reality is God is walking with us, in us, empowering us, 
In fact, he is the one who has seated us in the heavenly places. The benediction is the assurance that God does not give up on his people. The Lord continually works within us. Let us then continue to find our comfort in knowing that as we consciously call out to God in our prayers, as we consciously walk by faith, the reason we're doing that is because our God, by his grace and mercy, is at work within us. So the very fact we care in and of itself is a blessing because it's the assurance that God is at work within us. May we proceed then in the confidence that the Lord's grace is with all of us. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archive sermon series on our website, urcbelgrade.com, or subscribe to our current sermon series through most common podcatchers. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.